It was, it was actually uh, a really powerful moment in my career. Somebody had told me that I am too stupid to realize that it can't be done, so I'm doing it. When I first started, I didn't know what it took to, to be a licensed, bonded, insured company with 30 people on the payroll. So when somebody told me that I needed to go out and charge $13,000 for a furnace, I just did it. So I'm doing it. I don't have limits on myself. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again. Welcome here to another episode, this time part two of Coral Whale. We're really excited to invite her back on as a guest to put her in your passenger seat. It's going to be a great conclusion to our conversation that we started last week. So if you haven't checked that episode out yet, be sure to do so. But for right now, we're going to have a little bit of a discussion ourselves. And we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Benjamin Franklin. Oh, Mr. Benjamin Franklin. A little bit of our uh, namesake there. Yep. In fact, it's uh, it's his birthday, Tuesday of this week. Oh, is it? It sure is. All right. And, uh, I'm wearing a Benjamin Franklin polo, as it were. It looks lovely. Benjamin Franklin plumbing. And with that, let's switch over to talking about indoor air quality. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Coral's job, buddy. Nobody wants us talking about something we don't know that much about <laughs> wait a minute that's every time we talk on this show well at least one of us but as you were saying ryan go ahead uh excuses yes we were right back on uh on on uh someday aisle as we talked about last week that's such a great concept brian let's let's run through that concept again real quick for those who missed it last week um so it's a it's a brian i don't know who's like whose quotes they were and where they came from but i heard it on a brian tracy book the psychology of selling that's from probably like maybe the early 90s it's more it was among the best selling books on selling all time and he wrote about the disease of excusitis the inflammation of the excuse making gland and how uh, people who suffered from this disease were exiled to an island where they lived together and got nothing done. Called? Someday Isle. I love it. It's great. <laughs> so I figured we'd piggyback on that conversation with the quote from Mr. Ben Franklin on uh, a person that is good for making excuses is, is seldom good for anything else, which is, it's a uh, gr- great and... I mean, it's great because I've learned over the last nine years of training people that you can you can show this to someone without, um, as a trainer, you have to do it without really shutting them down. And, and that's always the, the fine line that you're trying to toe. <clears throat> show somebody that they're living in a world where they're, they're putting excuses between them and everything they want to accomplish. 
But once you show them that and you, you help them figure that out, anyone can come back from that. It's not a life sentence. So if you're always finding a reason it can't be done, that's what you do. You don't get it done because you find reasons it can't be done. I, you know, we have a few people in, together in our lives who always find a way to get it done. I think Matt Buckwalter is one of them. I think our team is, is a team full of people like that. It's just, there's never a thing we set out to accomplish where we're like, here's why it's not going to work. Just like, well, that didn't work. Let's try another one. And I'm guessing everybody on our team and Matt and, you know, other like Tommy Mello, who's somebody who sticks out immediately, Ken Goodrich, these, these people probably find themselves in that place at one time or another, or maybe came from that place where they were, you know, suffering from a little excusitis. And the best way to get out is a win. It's a W is to find a little win. It's like uh, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about the best way to like get up and get moving get get the uh, is to get the dopamine system activated so to say to yourself i'm going to open my sock drawer that's it i'm going to open my sock drawer i'm going to pair up every sock in there roll them up and i'm going to organize it if i can't find a match it's getting thrown away you start when you start the process, you start that. Make sure your laundry is done before you do that. <laughs> they call it the, the dopaminergic loop. Dopaminergic? Yeah, the loop of, of the dopamine cycle. You start it when you pull that drawer open. When you have the thought, it doesn't do anything. You actually have to take physical action. And When you take that physical action, it starts the cycle. And when you, when you finish it and close that drawer, you've completed that loop. And now you're ready to take on a bigger version of that task. So start with something small. Let's get it done. Figure it out. Say, there's no, I'm not taking an excuse for not doing this. Get your fat out of shape, lazy butt to the gym. Go get a membership. Don't get a membership. Just go take the one-time free trial day. Like every gym in the world will give you that one time. I just want to try it, and then maybe I'll sign up after. Just go, just go do it. Get your gym clothes, gear up, go get a little workout in. If you feel worse walking out of there, forget I ever said it. Well, I guarantee you will feel worse. Not walking out. <laughs> Two days you haven't later. seen me at the gym. <laughs> I don't expect to see you at a gym. <laughs> hey, I joined one this year, and I'm, yeah, I'm two buddy. weeks in, and I'm doing good. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, on the way out, you feel like a million bucks, right? Absolutely. Juices are flowing. You got that pump. Your your brain's working overtime. You start texting me like crazy with all these half harebrained ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me walking at the gym last night. I felt like a million bucks walking around there. Walking? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm like, all you, right. You were a farmer carrying 200-pound dumbbells? Of course. Right. Yeah, so you, you get that pump. You get that rush of endorphins and blood flow to the muscles, and you just feel like you can do anything. And your mind is working it over time and it's like, or overdrive. And it's like, you feel super accomplished. That's a big one. Like going to get your first workout ever or in years or months. That's a huge one. Getting that one under you is, uh, thank you. You're well on your way. Yeah. So that's, you completed that dopaminergic loop and you're on your way to a bigger task. So you knock that one out and get on to the next one. What's the next one? 
I, I truly feel like for most salespeople, if you're already doing some kind of presentation, like you have what you do every time, you have some sort of presentation put together. So you walk in, you, you have the way that you bring up the product that you want to involve them in. Say it's whatever version of indoor air quality you sell. So it's the you know electronic filter. How much do you know about the quality of the air in the home? You know, that's how you bring that up. Or if you're a plumber and you do water treatment, how much do you know about what comes through your home in the tap water? I don't know how everybody brings these things up, but the way I brought up the products that I like to sell was by asking them what they know about it. I'm not forcing anything on them. They always go, nothing. What should I know? Like, it, it always leads to more conversation. So that's how I brought it up. And then that leads you into how you talk about how great the product is. And hopefully you're tugging on the heartstrings. You're, you know, you're Roy H. Williams. You're winning the heart so the mind will follow. Imagine standing on the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> so you're you're tugging at the heartstrings you're getting them involved you're you're painting pictures hopefully if you're talking about you know aero seal you're you're not talking about efficiency for crying out loud you're talking about the air that they just cooled with their system that they spent all this money on is escaping into the walls that they will never even go into and you can help them save that air and bring it back into the home you're painting pictures for them and whatever you're talking about. You get all the way to the end and 85%, 85%, eight and a half out of every 10 presentations end without a salesperson ever asking a client, what? Would you like to own this? Yes. Without ever giving them the opportunity to become an owner, we hope and pray that they ask us for it. And when they don't, we leave and we text my boy, and I'm like, they're going to call back. They're going to call, bro. Yeah, definitely. This one's going down. De oh, yeah. I can tell. Yeah. No, no, they want it for sure. I mean, I'm checking my phone right now. <clears throat> uh, no, she uh, didn't call yet, but she's going. She to. had to talk to her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as he gets home, the good doctor, as soon as he gets home, it's going down. <laughs> the good doctor. <laughs> Whereas if, you're, if, you're, if you do that mind-blowing, mesmerizing, fantastic presentation of yours, dazzle them, intrigue them. And then you say, ooh, the Uncle Joe thing that he did, classic, loved it. So, so what, what should we, we do? do next? Yeah. Yeah, so what should we do next? So what should we do now? Um, my thing was always to uh, ask, him, ask him to do it. <clears throat> so I was always like, hey, I happen to have one of these in the back of the truck. If it makes sense to you, I'll shut your water off. Throw it in, have it, have your water back on by probably 2.30. Raise my eyebrows, nod yes, and go, does that sound good? Or, you know, whatever it is, sometimes it'd be a different version of that where I'd go, <clears throat> we, have, we have some of these at the shop right now. If it makes sense for you, I'll uh, call the office, see if they can drop one off. I bet you have, have your system up and running by 3.30. Does that sound good? Raise my eyebrows, nod yes. When I started adding that question at the end, it didn't, it didn't make it better. Like it, I was, I had entered a new career. Things changed in my life. I entered a new realm of income that I had never seen before. A new level of income. I was, I was uh, officially entering a new tax bracket. 
And every time I train someone over the last nine years and they start adding that where they ask the person to buy, every time they show somebody something, they do not end without asking them to take it. We got guys here who use different ones. Like we have uh, some techs who say, which option would you like to go with? But, and that's fine. As long as it ends with you giving them the opportunity to say yes or no, or this one or neither, you're doing the right thing. And then you, you start learning rebuttals from there. Right. And isn't the point, the action there, ne- and there needs to be a verb in your question. Not like, do you like any of these or, you know, no way. it, it needs to be an actionable <sighs> question. Yeah, you've got, you've got to be prompting them to take action. Give them the opportunity to take one right here, right now. Even if taking one means taking a window in the schedule, like you're a comfort advisor and, you, you know, your install team's booked up till next Tuesday, take the window in the schedule. If you'd like, I can call the office and make sure. We should be able to get you taken care of Tuesday. The team will be here between 7 and 8 a.m. or whatever it is. Does that sound good? Let's go. There it is. You don't have to be that good at presenting. If you just ask for the business every time you present something, you're so far out ahead of the pack of the average tech that it's it's ridiculous. So what is it, Brian, that prevents us from even being willing to ask a simple question? Is is it that we feel uncomfortable? Is it that we... We need to game ourselves up for it and get all amped up. Is, is it that well, we feel awkward about the response two, that's going to happen? Two things. One of two things is going to happen. They're either going to say, uh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Or they're going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I'm not sure I'm ready to move forward with this. And what do you think that one feels like? It feels rejection. Rejection. Yeah, violent fear of rejection. And, you know, we're, we're, we intrinsically are built with this fear of rejection. I was doing a training for, was it the CSR team? In the boot camp? Yeah. In the, yeah. Was it CSR yes, boot yes, camp? Yes, yep. And I quoted this um, study, this Harvard Business Review study. I wish I could remember her name. Ah, brutal. I did not plan on talking about this or I would have cited my source. But this lady from, um, I think it was Caltech, had written an article about why we have a fear of rejection, and that was because in the not-so-distant past, we lived in, you know, villages, and one person was responsible for the, the well, and one person, you know, or a handful of people might have been responsible for making clothing and the, the sewing or what have you, and one group of people was responsible for, say, preparing the food or growing the food, and everybody traded goods and services inside the little community the village or the camp even and if you said or did the wrong thing that was so severe that you got yourself and your family kicked out of the camp now what someday i'll it's way worse than someday i'll someday i'll starve to death (laughs) right maybe you're great at growing crops and uh whatnot but maybe you're not so good at protection (laughs) and you just got kicked out of the camp with all the warriors in it So we had a horrific fear of rejection because rejection from the small community we were in could mean the end of life as we know it for us and our family. So the fear of rejection is, you know, it was there for a reason. Now it just usually means I have someone sitting across from me who really wants this product. You'll be 
you'd be blown away if you knew how many times this happens. This person sitting across the kitchen table is like, yes, I love it. Yes, yes. Okay, how do I buy it? But they don't want to ask that because they, they fear rejection. So many of your clients are not going to ask you for one because they don't understand the process. They think you know what you're doing. They're waiting for you to offer it to them in a real substantial way. And they will say, yes, give me one. Or they'll say, no, thank you. I don't want one. So what? How has this negatively impacted your life moving forward? What they never do, as many times as I've tried it and as many times I've had technicians try it, is step out of their seat, pick up the kitchen chair, and start beating you over the head with it. For some reason, that's the fear, but it never happens. <laughs> oh, well, what excuse are you left with, Brian? To not ask? No. I thought maybe that had happened previously in your life. And no, not been beaten with the chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have this feeling like it's going to go sideways or chaotic or the rejection is going to be steep. I don't know what it is. I know I suffered from it in the beginning. I was not asking for the business, and a plumber in Vegas told me that. Mike Bissell from uh, Yes in Las Vegas straight up said, biggest difference between my presentation and your presentation is I ask for the business every time I'm there and you probably don't. I said, the heck I don't. He said, all right, show me how. I went to role play it with him and I think I ended the presentation with something like, uh, isn't this great? (laughs) Cool, right? (laughs) But never just said, take one. And Mike graciously showed me different ways to ask for the business. So I was so scared and like timid and, you know, didn't want to stand out that I had to craft the easiest possible way to ask for the business, the softest way possible. Later in my career, I could be, you know, blunt enough to just say, why don't I start to paperwork? You guys, you, you guys want this thing, right? It didn't mean anything to me, but early on I had to use that question like, Hey, if it makes sense for you guys, I can call the office, see if they can drop this stuff off. I'll have your, have your system powered back up in two and a half hours. Sound good? But you never have to deviate from that. It's such an easy way to ask for it. Well, uh, thanks for explaining that, Brian. And I think it's, it is so critical to make sure that is a piece of your presentation. And in today's program, Coral is going to continue breaking down things that she does in the home, questions that she asks, ways that she goes about it. Uh, And I think it's going to be really intriguing and a great listen for anybody in the home services industry or really anybody in sales, frankly, although the topics are certainly going to revolve more around being in the home and talking about things like heating and air conditioning and plumbing. Uh, But for now, we're going to turn to our review of the week. Amazing. Three exclamation points. So I had to yell it, you know, five stars. Great podcast. Great group of guys. My team and myself have benefited greatly from listening to this week in and week out. D. Seaton? D. Seaton? D. S. E. A. T. O. N. Sure. That's a tough one. I'm guessing it's like uh, D is the first name and then Seaton. Or maybe they're French. D. Seaton? Go ahead, and, go ahead and hit me up on Facebook, D. Seaton. And, D. Seaton. Uh, let me know who you are. So I can, <laughs> well, either I'll be way. happy to fix this. We are you. grateful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the review. Why? Getting the reviews and the uh, five-star reviews and ratings on um, Apple Podcasts 
helps us get guests. That's just all there is to it. Help also helps us get more listeners. But more than anything, when you ask someone to do an episode, the first thing a lot of the gatekeepers do is jump on Apple, look up your show, see how many ratings and what your average rating is. And uh, every one of these means a lot to the show. So thank you. Keep them coming. Throw one on there for us. We don't ask you to buy anything. We don't ask you for anything in return. Um, but if you really enjoy the show, you get anything out of it, please write us a five-star review and uh, share it. Share it on social media. Tell a friend about it. So before we jump into Coral, part one rolled out last week, and I, you know, I'll post it in like some HVAC groups. <clears throat> HVAC is, I mean, they're probably the worst with this, which is your quote-unquote super techs, these guys who invest all of their personality and their technical skill and none of it into being human beings. See someone like Coral who's just crushing it, you know, two million a year, two million a year, seventy percent of it IAQ. And they proceed to take her to task for quote unquote ripping people off. And I'm so I'm like for the most part when they when they post this stuff, and you know, for every one that posts you get ten or twenty that say great things and just, you know, like the post or whatever, but I, I will engage for the most part. So how is a, is a big question of mine. Oh, she's ripping people off. And I'll just put how. And uh, one thing you get a lot is people saying like, I'm a tech, never sold anything in my life, never taken a day of sales class, never going to. Okay, that's great. <laughs> that's you. Good for you. I don't know how that affects Coral or me or you know, any other listener of this show or any other person in HVAC truck. I'm sure that everyone who knows you would like you to take a communication class or two, <laughs> but I don't have to communicate with you, so I'm, I don't care if you do or not. Well, no problem with keeping things short and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll usually engage back, and it it bothers me that it doesn't bother me that I'm trying to keep it clean here, but I, every other word wants to be a swear word when I'm talking about this, these people. Um, it doesn't bother me that you say something bad about me or Coral or the show or this way of doing things because you open this person's Facebook page, which I'll do from time to time, and you they're like you taking advantage of people. And then you look at their previous quotes in that group and every one of them is like what a scumbag all his customers are and how he hates this trade. And like, it's the last person on earth who cares about people in any way, shape or form. He's just mad at Coral for making more money than him. He hates it. He's such a good tech. Like he's such a good tech. How could she make more money than him? 99.999% of it is just raw, pure jealousy. All it is. Haters. But what I don't like about it is there are, you know, 46,000 HVAC techs in this group and someone poisoning the well like that and saying, you know, you're a horrible person if you decide that when you go to fix this HVAC system, you are going to talk about something that could improve the quality of life in that home. For that, you are a ripoff artist, a con artist. I don't like it. I don't like people saying stuff like that unchallenged and unchecked. So I'll go back and forth and dance with them a little bit, not for the sake of, you know, turning Jim Bob because 
Jim Bob can stay broke. I don't care. But for the maybe 200 other techs, young techs that will read that, when they get done with that thread and see Jim Bob logically picked apart, which, believe me, is not a lot of work, I want them to get to the end of it and make up their own mind. I'll either decide to work on communication and be a better presenter or not. I'll either want to or I won't want to, but I'm not going to judge people like Coral who train on communication because they make more money than me. But let's face it, Coral's a better person than him. <laughs> so she should make more money than him. Right, buddy? <laughs> no doubt about that. And she is also extremely hungry and is not satisfied even where she is either. And that's something really fantastic about her. She's, she's not gotten to where she is and just is, you know, coasting. She's looking to be better. She's looking to be more. Yeah, Coral's, Coral's hungry like she's starving, like she's, like she's selling 20000 a year, you know? Like you would think Coral's just slightly over minimum wage the way she's uh, just so aggressive about learning and getting better. I love that attitude. That's who I want on the podcast every week, buddy. That attitude. I'm hungry. Absolutely. And we are hungry for part two. And with little more to do, we're going to put Coral Whale in your passenger seat. Our guest today is returning for part two. Her name is Coral Whale. And in 2023, it will be her fourth year in the HVAC industry. She specializes in running residential maintenance calls and introducing indoor air quality and water treatment products to clients that will greatly improve the quality of their life. In 2022, she finished with an average ticket of $8,500, running 540 calls, closing 50% of those calls, and totaling $2.3 million in maintenance call sales. She enjoys teaching her skill set to other technicians and companies that have a need or want to not only improve the quality of life for their clients, but for themselves as well. When she's not in the field, she values time with her family, getting outdoors to enjoy beautiful Colorado, which is where she lives. She's a boating person, camping, and the type of family that enjoys getting to the lake and traveling as much as they can. Welcome back to the show, Coral. Yeah, I think. Missed you guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's been so long since we've talked, and it's yeah. good to have you back on. Uh, for Thank those, you. For those of our listeners who maybe didn't have the privilege of hearing your episode last week, could you give us the elevator speech of who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, I'm about, um, well, my, my name's Coral. <laughs> I'm about just building value and rapport with clients and finding solutions to problems that they have within their home. Absolutely. And you do that most frequently with indoor air quality materials, tallying up well over $2 million a year at a run rate. Yes. Um, I do that on strictly maintenance calls. And I go in and find out what types of problems they're having and present um, solutions so that they can feel better, live better, and, and just in general be happier people. And uh, it, it seems to be working out quite well. Absolutely. Now, if, for those of our listeners, if you missed last week, make sure you go back and listen to the episode because we were right in the middle of a great conversation uh, regarding... Uh, turning a, a person or the pendulum swing, as we would call it here, but turning somebody who starts off as negative into a raving fan by the time you're finished. And you just gotten done telling us a story about how you got somebody who had 18 quotes presented in the history uh, to, and had said no to all of them to basically 
convert over to a yes. Uh, just summarize that up for us and, and tell us more about the feeling that you had and the, and the homeowner had at the end of that call. You know, it, it's definitely uh, pulling up to the house knowing that the client had 18 quotes. Um, again, in the last episode, we talked about prejudgment and it was really tough for me to push the prejudgment to the back of my brain on this one. Um, but I did. And he, I needed to go into the house following the exact same process and giving him that courtesy. Uh, just because he didn't buy from somebody else doesn't mean that I won't be able to build proper value and rapport and maybe transfer my belief to him and get him to purchase something that I truly believe in. Um, at the end of this call, not only did he buy my quote unquote for him too expensive duct cleaning, he added on about $4,000 worth of other indoor air quality products that have previously been presented to him. Um, he added that onto the sale. So it ended up being a 5,000 IAQ uh, ticket. But sitting down with him and his wife and listening to them say, see, see, Jim, I told you, I, I really told you this dust is affecting you and these allergies need to go. And I'm so excited. And, and hearing them talk about the new products that are going to be installed in their home is what I live for in this industry. I am so excited when my clients are so excited to get these products because I know it's going to change their life. I just, I know it is. And I know when I come back next year to service their air conditioner, they're going to thank me and they're going to write me a raving review and they're going to love what I'm putting in their home. And, and that's what I love to do out in the field. It's so good, Coral. And I'm sure that many of our listening audience have been in a similar position before where they're looking over their history and they're just tallying up it in their mind. No, 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 no. 18 no's. 18 no's. What mental gymnastics did you have to do walking into that call to get your head in a clear space to be able to ask the question the 19th time? Honestly, I acted like I didn't see those quotes. I walked in there fresh. Um, when I walked up to the door, yeah, I knew that that guy had said no about 18 times. But I had to push that aside and give him the respect, as well as the family, give them the respect to run my process, run my call step-by-step step how I do on every single call, ask the questions that I ask to every single client. And by doing that, um, I, I won his yes, you know, but I didn't tell him, I know that you said no to this 18 times. Why have you not bought this filter? I didn't do that. Um, I just very plainly turned to him and said, you know, you could really benefit from some better filtration. Have you ever heard of a 24 volt filter? No, no coral. I haven't. Nobody's ever talked to me about that before. Well, you know, let me tell you a little bit about it. I really think you guys would benefit from it. And then I go into my spiel and, and we're all of a sudden sitting in the living room, laughing, drinking, sparkling water and getting in finance, you know, but I, I just, I treated him like we had never walked into that house before. 
So I'm sure objections are a big piece of what you see on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you make it sound so easy, but we know it's not really that case. And and so many of our listening audience are, are like, what? How's she doing two and a quarter million dollars? This is crazy. So right. let's talk about the top three objections that you normally handle and how you handle them. What would you say is the most common objection that a homeowner is presenting to you and what are you saying about it? My most common one that I get, um, especially after COVID, is um, I'm working, I'm too busy, or uh, along the exact same lines is I need to talk to my husband. I need to talk to my wife. And I mean, that's the biggest one I get. And we have a lot of people now working from home and we'll walk in and they're right on their computers working and they'll just kind of point you in the direction of things. Um, And I tell them that, you know, I need you to make a little bit of time for me, about 20 to 25 minutes here in about an hour. And uh, this it's, it's really important. I need to be able to go over my findings with you and, and share, you know, some things. And most people have no problem with that. And so I just set the stage in the very beginning and have them start preparing themselves for needing to stop working for about 20 to 25 minutes. If I walk in on a one-legger and say a husband or wife isn't home and they're using it, I, I consider that a smoke screen to a certain point. Um, and I don't want to call myself pushy when it comes to that, but I will you know, say something along the lines of, is your husband available to talk to you on the phone? He's going to have some questions and I can email these over to him while I'm on the phone and while I'm in the home and uh, answer any questions that he may have. A lot of times the wives will immediately, because now the pressure is taken off of them. They're like, oh God, thank God. Yes, please. And they'll pick up their cell phone and they call their husband. They put it on speaker. I make sure the husband's in front of a computer or he has his phone available to pull up an email. I send over the report. I start going over everything with him. I can about 80% of the time get a husband to say yes over the phone if his wife called him and, and said, hey, she really needs to talk to you about some stuff because now I've made it urgent. I've created an urgency for them and they want to get it taken care of. So I, I guess the word I would use is pushy. Hey, let me talk to your husband. When is he coming home? When can I come back? Um, things like that. Assertive. Yeah, assertive. You know, I'm here. You called me out here. You have an issue. I have the fix for your issue. Who do I need to talk to about getting this taken care of for you? Um, and once that stress is lifted off of them, then I can go ahead and proceed with, with my findings and my solutions. Was, was the ability to have that communication and essentially ask for the sale of being able to make the phone call, was that something that came natural to you or how did you develop yourself into being able to sit in front of somebody and say, yeah, let's actually get your spouse on the phone right now and interrupt their day so that we can have this communication? I have never been in the most awkward situations ever. It, it's practice is all I can say. And for the first like 10 times you do it or you're assertive, um, it's, it's definitely a fine line, I think, because if you deliver that wrong, the assertiveness, it could come off very pushy and lead to bad reviews or somebody kicking you out of the house. 
And what I have to say to that is um, I encourage that. I encourage some of my technicians to get kicked out of a house. I think everybody needs to get kicked out of a house every once in a while. Um, the, the more no's you get, the yeses are coming. You're just practicing your delivery. So it is very scary at first to be assertive and ask those really weird, awkward questions. But I, I feel like since I've practiced it so much, I'm, I'm really good at it now. And I'm really good at asking really weird things. I turn to my clients all the time when I present a very large quote and I will look at them and they're kind of looking at the quote like this. She wants me to pay how much for this? And I'll turn to them and I'm like, do you have that kind of money? And they're like, no. And I just make a joke about it, right? I'm like, I don't have that kind of money either. None of my clients hand me big bags of cash. I want you to know that I have the most easy payment plans in this region and I can do something like this for you for just $200 a month. Is that something where you feel like that's affordable? Uh, $200 a month, that's extremely affordable. We just paid off our car. Excellent. Sign here. How's your credit? My credit's really good. Great. We'll have no problem then. Boom. You just sold it, right? But it's getting to that very awkward question of being able to turn to somebody and say, do you have that kind of money? You know, it's really hard. And what, I sucked that for a really long time. What has been your largest ticket ever? I did an $87,000 ticket. Um, residential. That's all I run is residential. So $87,000 was a pretty big ticket in a house that probably cost a total of $100,000. Sheesh. All right. Yeah. Then. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, she had had a lot of technicians in and out of that house for many, many, many years. Um, we ended up doing, I, God, we did so much over there. Repipes, panels, HVAC, water heaters, all indoor air quality, aero seals, um, everything. That lady could not stop buying. She financed with two different financing companies and I still talk to her to this day. She still sends me, she makes candles. <laughs> so she still sends me Christmas candles to this day with a little note. Hey, Coral, I hope you're doing well. Um, I heard you're in blah, blah, blah with this company now. Can you still come and see me in Colorado Springs? And, you know, we always have a little chat. But, yeah, that lady spent $86,000 with me. And I still get referrals from her to this day. Hey, she, she referred me over to you. Can you come over to my home? I love those. They already know they're about to spend money. Referrals are my favorite. So in that, in that uh, $87,000 sale, I'm sure you got some more objections and it wasn't just like, oh yeah, sure. $87,000. Here you go. What's, what's another common objection that you get Coral and how do you overcome it? It it comes down to the money. Um, the other one I get, you know, the first one is, you know, I need to talk to my wife or husband. The second one would be, I don't have that kind of money. Um, being able to present also the solution for payment plans. Uh, is a whole different world. It's a whole different ball game. And when you can present the ability for them to pay without taking syrup off the pancakes as an option, um, the I, I can't even tell you how much that changed the sales game for me. I think having payment options and plans with multiple different financing companies is very, very, very important. 
Absolutely. And what about a third one, Coral, for our listening audience? Because objections is such a common thing when you're in the home and, and you're staring at somebody saying, would you like this? And they're saying, eh, I don't know. What's, what's number three for you? My third objection is a toss up. Um, you're too expensive. Again, that kind of comes down to the money. But I guess if I was going to turn it into a, an objection, it would be, well, you know, I bought this system last year in my other home for $7,000. Or my neighbor down the street just had his AC installed for $5,000. Why are you guys charging me $12,000? You know? Um, and so that, uh, that is a very difficult thing to overcome, knowing that this gentleman already knows that that company installed something much, much cheaper. And the way that I build the value onto something like that is, you know, I'm, I'm sure your neighbor made a very educated decision. I'm not sure what company he went with. Um, I don't know how many items in your home were up to code in order for us to pass inspection. But, and then I go into the value of the company and what my company will provide and why my cost is higher. Um, and that's kind of when I start spitting out uh, a list of reasons why that client should buy from me. And um, some of those items include, you know, 24-7, 365 service on demand. Um, warranties are a big thing. Uh, you get certified, Nate certified HVAC technicians in your home every single time, drug tested, background check, things like that, you know? And um, that objection is easy to overcome if you know how to build value in yourself and your company. So that's, that's how I beat that objection. So Coral, I mean, the obvious question then is, uh, you know, you're a woman in a traditional man's world, so to speak. And you did mm -hmm. mention in our previous, previous week's podcast that you do sometimes use that to your advantage. Let's talk about that because you are able to connect on a different level. Uh, how does that work for you? What, you know, what experiences, pros or cons have you felt because of that? Um, it is tough sometimes when men are on site and I am there working not like a weird type of awkward situation where like they're being weird with me, but I feel like they don't have any faith, right? They've never had a female technician in their home before. They, they think they might know everything. Uh, they definitely don't, they kind of feel less manly. I guess you could say like, Oh God, they sent a woman to work on my system and she's looking at me like, why can't you do, why can't you change your own filter? You know? Um, so I, I can use it to my advantage because once I actually start working and getting a little bit more technical with them and telling them how the system works and why it's failing and what's going on and they're watching me work, there's normally never an issue after that whatsoever. I've built the value in myself, told them, you know, hey, you're, everything's under control. I'm going to work. And they love it and they end up, they end up loving it. Um, I definitely don't think a lot of people should say this, but one of my favorite things to say is when a, when a husband, actually, this is funny. 
a husband will say, you know, Hey, I need to, I need to talk to my wife about this. And I'm like, Oh, uh, when will the, the decision maker be home? He's like, I'm like, I'm and I'm wait, like wait, oh. wait, 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 you want to role play it? <laughs> yeah. yeah let's do it. I'll be, I'll be the dude. All right. I'm like, so, Coral, uh, Coral, so- let's, let's just role play it. Coral. I'll be, I'll be the, I'll be the uh, husband that's trying to use the wife excuse real quick. All right. Perfect. Yeah, I appreciate the offer today, Coral. Um, and I, you know, I think we're going to go with it. I gotta, I gotta call my, or, um, I gotta ask my, uh, my wife, Nate, when she gets home. I knew it was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And when will the decision maker be able to uh, have a conversation? I'd like to show her a couple of things that I, I found in the furnace that I think needs immediate attention. Whoa, hon, listen here. I'm the decision maker. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so here's what we need to do. We, we definitely need to replace this blower motor, um, and the inducer. I understand you needing to, to talk to your significant other, um, and the other decision maker about, you know, your 24 volt filter. These are the immediate things we need to get taken care of. How would you like to take care of that today? When, what days work for you? Uh, again, I, I mean, Nate would be, if I didn't include her, Nate would be so upset. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> Mrs. Burton, uh, Nate would be. I'm here right now, um, and I'm sure she's going to have quite a few questions. It is a, a bigger purchase, and I do understand that. Um, could could we give her a call real quick? I can email everything over to her. Um, she's a nurse, and uh, she's on one of those shifts where she can't look at her phone for like 12 hours. My mom's a nurse as well, so I, I know how that goes. Here's what we can do. Um, it's going to take me about two to three weeks to get these parts from the manufacturer anyways. Um, they're mostly readily available, so there won't be a restocking fee. Why don't we pick a date in the future? I'll get you on the schedule. You talk to your wife about it when she gets home. If you guys want to move forward, I already have you set up for a date. Does that sound okay? That sounds perfect. Is that, uh, is that Uncle Joe training right there? Uh, God, is it? I don't know. I've trained with so many people. Is that Uncle Joe? <laughs> you trained with Joe, right? Uh-huh. Did you, did you go through uh, Joe's training? I did a little bit, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. I, so he has the three, the three acceptable outcomes of a call. It's either yes, no, or get on the schedule okay. for, for the revisit. Yeah, so, and, and he, he role-played that with us on this show a few weeks ago, and he did it. Like, it, was, it was nearly the exact same, right, Nate? It was good. I just did it. Yeah, you did it. Like, I mean, my- about exactly how he did it. So, okay, good. Yeah. Well then I might have stole it along the lines from uncle Joe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and yours was better thing. Coral and he's not on the show right now. So yours was way better. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, hopefully he'll be proud of me. Cause I know he does root me, uh, root, root for me on, on the sidelines. So I hope I made him proud with that one. But I'll, I'll tell you, like, once they're actually committed and they've put themselves on the schedule without the other decision maker, um, when the other decision maker gets home now, obviously, I'm not in their house for this conversation, but if it were my house or I was a fly on the wall, I would think it would go kind of something like this. Hey, honey, uh, Coral came out today. Here's the report. She sent us all of these pictures. Look at how bad this blower motor is. The wife's going to look at it and be like, well, did you get, did you get it taken care of? He's like, yeah, well, I, I told her I needed to talk to you, but I do have a setup on the schedule for December 18th. Um, you know, 
should we stay on the schedule? She's going to be like, yeah, I have to go to work and we need a furnace and they're going to stay on the schedule, you know? Absolutely. And uh, what would you say is your typical success rate with that scenario? Um, with cancellations not happening on that, I'd say my success rate of somebody staying on the schedule is probably, if I had to guess, I mean, it's high. I would say about 80% yeah. of people stay on the schedule. Um, with installs, though, if I am putting in larger ticket items, sometimes the, the other significant other will come home and be like, let's get other quotes or yeah. uh, whatever the case may be. But if I did my job correctly, um, there now what's going to happen is they're going to call other companies and the other companies aren't going to be able to vil- build the value that I did because they weren't there for what I was, if that makes sense. Like, I went in for a maintenance call to maintain their equipment. And then we got into indoor air quality conversations and I showed them a report that they've never seen before. I mean, there's so many companies are losing out by not generating reports for their clients. Um, And so the value that I've built is going to be a hundred times greater than a company that's just going out to give a quote on the the furnace because the customer is not going to know what to say. Right. I already have all of my quotes. I've built the value. They have my maintenance report. They know what's wrong with it. Now they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to call another company and they're going to say, I need a quote for a furnace. And they're going to send out a sales guy. And so now it's not a proactive maintenance call. The gentleman that's going out to the house following me is going to be, and we all refer to him this way, a white shirt, very clean sales presentation, possibly carrying a laptop with a presentation ready to go. It's going to be a whole different experience for the client. And they're not necessarily going to feel like the value is built as opposed to me going out there and actually doing work, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Coral, I mean, as a woman in, in this industry, I'm sure you have some other, uh, Coralisms that you get away with saying, whereas a man maybe not is able to do that. What have been some of those things that you've been able to do in the home? Um, I do this with all my, not all of them, but I, I do it with specific clients where I can, uh, I just, I, the way I close calls can be awkward sometimes for other people, I guess. Um, I do feel like I create uh, relationships in the home so I can joke around with my clients a little bit. One of the ways that I just love to close big calls is I'll hold my hand out for a handshake and I kind of look at them and smile a little bit and say, are you going to slap my hand away or are you going to shake it? And (laughs) they, they shake my hand and we go about our business and I get them on the schedule and things like that. But, um, you know, just being a female in the house is, is really cool. It's, it's a, I know that a lot of guys talk about, well, she's a female, it's easier, or she's lying to her clients or whatever, but I, I don't feel like I do. I, I try and find a very calming ground with every client I have. Um, and I build off of that. And I think anybody could do it. I mean, I think a big burly old, plumber could walk into a house and really build some good value and hold his hand out and say, you're going to take it or you're going to slap it away. You're going to kick me out or, you know, are we, are you going to make me lunch? You know? Um, 
so I really don't face a ton of only a female could do it in the home, if that makes sense. So it does. And yet I'm, I'm also wondering, you know, because you do have a, a different perspective on things and most of our listening audience, uh, as far as technicians probably is male. What do you think it is that men generally miss in terms of their presentation in their home or the relation to the client that you feel like you have the upper hand on and how can we get better at that? I think a lot of guys in the field are, again, going back to the first episode. Um, I think it comes down to laziness and not being thorough. Um, I know that I get a lot of compliments after I'm done with working on their equipment. Um, you know, nobody has ever done that before. I've never seen that done before. Nobody's ever opened that before. And I'm like, you know, it really wasn't that hard to get into. Um, I, I definitely think to answer your question, it comes down to being lazy and not actually doing the job that you were called there for. I think if a client is wanting a maintenance on their system, it needs to be spit signed before and after pictures. Um, if they need a n- new system or new equipment, it's, you still need to run the call the exact same. You still need to try and clean the nastiest furnace up that you've ever seen in your life as much as you can. They're still a paying client and they paid for the service. Your company paid for the marketing to get you out into the home. And, and whether they say no or yes, they deserve the same service on every single call. So when technicians are out in the field and they're not doing that, um, they're really, really missing the mark. I think for everybody, themselves, the client, the company, it really hurts everybody's bottom line for sure. Speaking of being there to do what you're supposed to do, uh, obviously that's a given, uh, even if it is something that we forget or forget to focus on. But I'm sure you've had good success at inviting other branches of your company or other trades into the home as well. In fact, over the past two episodes here, you've explained that you've invited uh, plumbers in to do water heaters and you've talked about panels, you've educated yourself on those things. What are some of your best approaches to having a client understand that there's another area of the home that they didn't call you out to look at and you're not an expert in that field, but you are an expert in recognizing warning signs and you do want to draw their attention to their panel, their water heater, their water filtration. Well put, buddy. Darn yeah, well put. Absolutely. I, I love turnovers. Um, I, I absolutely love them. I think there's, there's huge potential for turnovers to different trades. Um, and I love doing it, but I think that, uh, especially on maintenance calls, um, people in the field can get tunnel vision. So for example, you have a maintenance call for a furnace on your board for the day. And I feel like a lot of people just go out there and they're like, I am only here to work on the furnace. This is my call. I'll be here for 30 minutes. I have 18 other calls on my schedule today. This is what I'm doing. And they don't look at other things, which really pisses me off because it is so easy to just turn around and look at the water heater. And, you know, if the water heater is creating an issue leaking or they need an expansion tank or whatever the case may be. It doesn't even matter. Um, your 
your client will will be very appreciative of you saying, look, like I was down here to work on your furnace, but um, I had noticed that your water heater is starting to leak a little bit. Were you aware that that was happening? Oh my God, no, I'm never down here. I Okay, well, it's not a problem at all. Um, I can definitely assist with this. Um, let me call my office and see when I can get one of my plumbers over here. Coral, that would be great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, I call dispatch. Hey, I have an emergency over here at my client's house. Can you please send a plumber as soon as possible? Absolutely. I have one 20 minutes away. They'll be on the way. That client is so appreciative that you found other issues in the home and they, they don't have to make another phone call. I think that's super important for them. Time is very, very, very valuable. And now that they don't have to track down a plumber, call somebody else, get a quote, worry about it or anything like that. And you built value in yourself and your company. When that plumber walks on site, they're going to be able to sell that water heater. And I look at panels every single time I'm in a home because the breakers obviously are in the box for the AC and the furnace. Is there, am I going to know if there's something wrong with the breaker? Am I going to disassemble the entire panel? Absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. If I wanted to be an electrician, I would have been an electrician. Not doing that. But I do know that when I go to the panel, I can find out if it's a FPE panel. I can find out how old it is. I can shoot a picture of it to an electrician out in the field and say, what do you think about this? I don't know what I'm looking at. And they'll say it's, you know, one of these doesn't have a GFCI on it. I can present that issue to my client and let them know that I can have an electrician come out and give them a complimentary once over of the home, make sure that everything is safe. And now my electrician just got his foot in the door. So now I have all three trades in the house and the client doesn't have to make any additional phone calls, take any additional days off or anything like that. I love turnover so much. That's that's uh, exactly what we like to hear because, I mean, we are a tri-branded company ourselves and we are also a tri-branded podcast in terms of trying to get HVAC, plumbing, and electrical motivation throughout the industry. And I think it's so critical to have that cross-branding. And if, you know, if you're not part of a company that has that option, you know, it, it's still worth considering. Uh, but especially if you are a company that has two or more of the trades involved to be able to have that communication because... Ultimately, homeowners are looking for the easy button. Wouldn't you agree with that? They are. They are. They they want convenience. If you're providing them with the convenience of not having to make a whole bunch of additional phone calls and take more time out of their schedule or away from their families, they're going to do it. They've already taken time off to have me in the home. So if I have a tradesman that's 20 minutes away, of course they're going to say yes to bringing him into the home. They're already off work, you know? And so I've made it easy for them to say yes. Not only that, but they've given me another yes. And now when I sit down to present my solution, they're in a yes mood. Yes, please bring your plumber over. Yes, I was aware of that. Yes, this is, this is what I needed. You know, whatever the case may be, they've said yes like 50 times during my tune up. Um, and now they're also getting ready to say yes to plumbers and yes to electricians and yes to memberships and yes to everything, you know? So I, I, I wish that turnovers were more popular um, within a trifecta company. I think it's very, very, very important. 
So some other important things that we wanted to focus on uh, is, you know, the, the belief in what you're doing as the individual, because there's, there is just this unfortunate downtrodden perspective uh, in the trades that I'm not worth it. I'm not enough. Uh, you know, I, this is too expensive even for my own taste. I don't think I have enough value in what I do to charge this number. You know, did you ever suffer through that yourself in terms of believing in the dollars that you're charging for your service as the professional? Did that come easy to you? And if it didn't, what did you do to get to a place where you're like, no, I am worth it? Um, this one came very natural to me, actually. And, you know, a while ago, I was told that it, it was actually uh, a really powerful moment in my career. Um, somebody had told me that I am too stupid to realize that it can't be done. So I'm doing it because I don't know any better. Right. I, I don't, is that I a compliment know. or an insult? I'm, <laughs> I'm working my way through it. Definitely. I took it as a compliment because I, you know, <laughs> I'm a positive type of person. Um, it was definitely meant as a compliment, but yeah, the more I said it to myself in my head, I was like, you're right. I am too stupid to realize that it can't be done. So I'm doing it. I don't have limits on myself. I don't know when I first started, I didn't know what it took to, to be a licensed bonded insured company with three thirty 30 people on the payroll. Like, I don't know what that takes. So when somebody told me that I needed to go out and charge $13,000 for a furnace, I just did it. It it just that's what it costs. Um, and people need to make money. I mean, once I got into the mind frame of saying, "Does this client really believe that we're going to come out and we're going to install this equipment and make a hundred dollars? We're not going to be around in two years. This is what I need to charge in order to ensure that my company is around for the long run." Um, and I, I mean, I did not have an issue with that at all. The other thing I don't have an issue with too, is I love the conversations that are always had about you're putting in really crappy equipment or this is better equipment than that or whatever. I'm like, it's all made pretty much at the same factory. It's just who branded themselves better. Right. Or what kind of motor it has in it, or is it builders grade or is it not? Whatever, whatever equipment my company is selling at the time, in my mind, is the absolute best equipment, period. I love that equipment. I'm selling that equipment. I stand behind the equipment. They stand behind us. We stand behind them. I don't have a problem with being the high. I want to be the highest quote that my clients get because I can put the value behind it. I don't want to be the cheap guy. And I tell myself that all the time. I know that I have a competitor in my area selling furnaces for $2,500. My furnace is 13000 I mean, I definitely don't want to be the $2,500 guy. And a lot of my clients don't, won't buy from that guy either. That's a great perspective, Coral. And yet, you know, the, uh, the naivete wears off after a while, right? So, I mean, you said you were too stupid to realize it couldn't be done. So you just went out there and charged $13,000. Well, what happened the first time that somebody said $13,000, Frank and Joe offered it to me for 6,500. What are you going to do? Well, you know, it's 
one of those conversations now you have with the client. Well, you know, what corners are they cutting to have their price so low? And one of the ways I say that without downplaying my, my competitors is um, I'll have a client say something like, whoa, that's really expensive. And I just turn to them and I'm like, compared to what? What are you comparing it to? Well, well, I saw on Google, it's $2,500. Well, sir, I just got the struts done in my truck and the struts online say that they're only 200 but I pay 3000 for them. You know, what are you comparing my high prices to? Well, Jim and Dan said that they'll do it for 6500 Well, sir, that's a, that's a really good price. Where are they? Did you call them? Well, yeah, but they can't come out here for three weeks. All right. We're here now. You know, we're reliable. We're here. We're going to back that equipment up with warranties. The second you see their brake lights, your warranties go with it, you know? So there's a lot of ways to be able to get around that objection. I'm not scared of that objection at all. Um, yeah, and, and I think you going back to having to ask those awkward questions. Well, $16,000 is way too expensive compared to what? Who? Who are you comparing me to? Because that's not who this company is. My company does this and this and this and this. What does their company do? Are you getting the value? Did you add maybe indoor air quality products? Did they tell you about this stuff? Well, no. No, they didn't They didn't mention that, that you know, I needed a duct cleaning. Okay. Well, that's included in my price, right? Or did they mention your duct work is really shifty and maybe your return or supply needs to be replaced? Well, no, they didn't mention that either. Okay. Well, we're going to go in and we're going to take care of all of the issues as opposed to just the box. And more times I can get them to say yes to me than I can, you know, then they'll say yes to the smaller quote for sure. It's, it's often overlooked that even, even when they start down that road, they don't, they don't really know what they're saying. And we're in, you know, we're in trades that, that cover really important, dangerous things like gas, carbon monoxide, high voltage electrical, uh, water even, which can be pretty dangerous. Um, and you know, raw sewage, which is extremely dangerous and it's never, it's never looked at like it should be, which is. I mean, most people have had some kind of medical procedure, like, you know, a knee replacement or an ACL or a shoulder surgery or tonsils removed or something where, you know, you could have saved money had you taken that drive to, you know, Ensenada or, or what have you some, and, and found someone to do it, you know, cut rate across, right. across the border. But why don't you? Yeah. If it's only money, why don't you take that drive next time? Let's say your kid, your wife needs surgery, your husband, your sister, your mom. Why don't you throw them in the back seat, drive them down across the border, and have have someone there do the surgery for a tenth of the price? Right. What's stopping you? Yeah. It's dangerous. You know the quality, I'm, right? It's dangerous. Exactly. It's there's a reason they're going to do it that much cheaper. They're missing mm -hmm. quite a bit. And there's, there's no difference between that and, and the stuff that we're working on in these trades. There's a reason there has to be, there's supposed to be licensing and insurance requirements and contractor ID numbers and all these things in place 
And I had just had one of our plumbers get beat up by a buddy of mine's going to do it for, you know, a 12 pack. And we're talking about a gas water heater. Like you got gas coming in, carbon monoxide being carried out. And you let this guy get away with, I'm going to trust my family to the guy who's going to do it for a 12 pack. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come on, bro. That's not even an objection. Like that one should be so easy. It shouldn't even be on our radar, you know? Right. Exactly. And maybe, you know, the other thing too, is once you mention that and you have that hard conversation with that client, they'll have a mind shift. I mean, that's really all you have to do is you just have to get them to shift in a different direction. Um, and show them that that's the cheapest is not always the best. And I really always like to find a, a common ground with my clients when I'm overcoming things like that. Um, you know, I'm like, when's the last time you went out to a, a steakhouse? Well, my wife and I went out about a week ago. Okay. And you ordered, what kind of steak did you get? Well, I got the porterhouse. Great. So you paid about $60 for your porterhouse. Yeah. Well, where are you going with this, Coral? Okay. Well, you do know that they bought that steak in bulk and they probably paid $3 for your $60 steak, right? Did you argue with the kitchen staff about how much your steak is and if you could have a discount on your bill? No, you didn't. You gladly paid for it. You ate it. It was delicious. You guys went home and you probably had a really good evening, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, we did. The same thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second, uh, Cheryl. Uh, Stoffers makes a Salisbury steak TV dinner. It's eight bucks. All I have to do is microwave it. Please. You expect me to pay 60 for this porterhouse? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? But find that common ground. And, uh, I, I, I like finding little scenarios like that, that I can share with them. Well, yes, I do know that Google said that it was supposed to cost $2,300, but did you ever consider that? you're in a higher elevation where you need different types of equipment. Did you ever consider that nothing is up to code in your house for the last 20 years and you need a bigger gas line? Did you ever consider that your flue pipe is completely disconnected from your furnace right now? And it's, you know, whatever. Did you ask Google how much a car is supposed to cost? Yeah. Did you, did you Google that? Because uh, I couldn't help noticing you're driving like an Audi R8. Yeah, exactly. You could have got a a Hyundai Elantra. Dollars uh, and you're going to pay $400 for that battery? Well, well, I didn't consider that. Okay, well, well, let's go talk to the wife and see what we need to do. Okay, all right, cool. And Great. I, I, uh, I had this, this group, this crew back in the day, like early to mid-2000s when, um, well, Brent Buckley, who you know, was one of, one of the guys in there. And uh, we'd get together for a half hour before the meetings. And this is what we would do. Like we would just sit here and take the hardest objection anyone found yesterday and we would take turns beating it up and whoever got the best rebuttal, we'd put it up on the board and it would stay there for a few days. You know what we were missing as I see it now? What? We were missing a feminine touch in that room. See? See? We were missing Coral in there to to, uh, give us us a different perspective on some of these objections and rebuttals, but man, it would have been fun. Well, and you know, a, a lot of people are so afraid of the objections and they, and they, once they get one objection in the house, they're done, you know, and I hate that. I'm like, don't give up, get at least four more objections in the home. If you can get at least five no's, you're good. You're good. I promise you're going to sell this call. I promise. I love objections. 
Um, but it took me a long time to really like them. And that's the other thing too. You brought up a really good point about, you know, before the meetings and what was everyone's biggest objection? I don't know why, but why is everyone so terrified of role playing? Like, especially in front of your company, is it the embarrassment or is it like, I don't know what it is and why companies don't do it. But if you're not role playing very specific scenarios and failing in front of your entire office staff, how are you going to do that in front of a client? I think training is so important. And every business that I see failing right now, or they're begging for money, or they're doing equity buyouts, and they're letting these big firms come in. One of the things that the big firms do when they buy a failing company is they hire a trainer to come in and start training the current technicians there, and they hire technicians that are willing to get on board with a training. Um, and if I feel bad for the mom and pops because I'm like, you could have been so successful if you just would have invested in your team a little bit and trained better, you know, or at least role played, at least got up there and failed in front of your team and tried to overcome some of these objections that you're getting every single day. Um, so I, I know role-playing and objection handling and things like that are tough, but if you're not doing it within your own business, you're failing yourself and your team. It's not, it's like, um, it's like anything like what we were talking about earlier, like role-playing and, and overcoming objections in the, in the beginning, it's tough and it's uncomfortable, but like all the people who regularly, like the ones who, if I say, give me, give me an, a volunteer to role-play, you know, the, the six people who always put their hands up. I was here when they all were terrified of me picking them to role play. You know, I've been in this position nine years now. So every one of them was like a hurry up and don't make eye contact with Brian while he scans the room for who's going to role play first, you know, and now because of practice, they're like, let's go. They know, they know it's the reps that make them better. Let's go. I'm up. We practice my free throw shots. Perfect. You know, well, this was awesome, Coral. I appreciate you coming coming back for a second episode. And I'm, you know, what I'm, I want to put together an episode where we get a few, like, you know, beasts. This is going to be a massively popular episode. I'm guessing it'll be top ten in all time downloads, like by the end of the first month after we release it. And uh, be- I think it'd be really cool to get an episode together where we get just like you and a few others who have really done some fun role play with us and and just doing a you know, an objection hour or something like that. Would you be game for something like that? That would be so interesting. You know, I have some really big role models out there that I secretly stalk and look up to, you know, um, the waste no day podcast. Huh? The waste no day podcast. Yeah. You guys (laughs) secrets out. uh, Yeah, I will. Uh, you know, I have quite a few mentors out there that I, I really look up to, but man, I have just seen some absolutely incredible numbers coming out for the end of the year. You know, we all love to to show our numbers and our accomplishments, which I, I love seeing. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, like I have a lot of work to do. And some of these guys are putting up $4 million, $7 million, $8 million in sales. And I'm like, okay, who do I go to for training now? How can I better myself? Because I'm not going to let these guys beat me. There's no way in the world that they're going to start beating me over and over and over again. How do I make myself better? So that's, that's the next thing I need to find out is, is who wants to train 
the trainer, right? That's so good, Coral. And we're proud of you. Uh, we, we love the motivation. We love the competition. Thanks so much for sharing uh, with us for the past two episodes, all the things that make you do what you do, the things that make you tick. I think it's awesome. And it's been inspiring to hear the message that you're bringing and the level of drive that you exhibit. Uh, we hope that it's been motivational for our listening audience. And I'm sure that it has. Yeah. And when that drive and, and that desire for ultimate level of customer, I, I, I don't want to say it is customer service, but that, that term is so cliche, but your, your servant heart servant's heart when it comes to your clients mixed with that drive to, um, you know, you're not shy about saying, I want to make as much money as I can possibly make while I'm behind the wheel of this truck every day, which is stupid not to say, I don't, I don't understand the logic of pretending that's not the case, but your drive mixed with your, your servant's heart, it always equals great success in an industry like this. And I love that you have the opportunity to make as much money as you want doing it because you deserve to. Thank you. So Coral, last thing here for you, if people are interested in learning more about you, your story, or just connecting with you to share some response, uh, some questions uh, to your responses, or maybe there's some ladies out there who would like to hear your perspective of being a female in the field, what's the best way of getting a hold of you or in touch? Uh, best way to get a hold of me is going to be through email, um, coralwhale at outlook.com. Anybody can shoot me a message. Uh, and I'm very, very responsive on Facebook. I love when people reach out to me and ask me questions. And, uh, you know, I am one of the first people to get on there and give advice and encourage people. I even have people that reach out all over the nation with just little questions. Hey, will you role play this with me? I heard you on a podcast the other day. I love it. And I will always make time out of my day to help another individual that is struggling with something, to encourage somebody. I want everybody at the top. I just, I think we all have so much room to be successful and to help each other. And I'm here to answer any questions or help out as much as I can. So appreciated, Coral. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. And we hope to hear back uh, for another episode soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. See you, Coral. Bye. That's a wrap for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed part two of a fantastic conversation with Coral Whale. She is such a refreshing uh, breath of air in, in terms of like her inspiration and her motivation to go get things. And what she's doing is truly incredible. And she has a hunger to not stop there, which is something that we really stand behind. We want to be wasting no day. That's what we want to be driving home to you week in and week out, that there is only today's opportunities in front of you you never get them back, and so make the most of every single one. And we hope that that is the challenge for you, as it is every single week. And we want you to choose to wake up each morning and waste no day.